Welcome into NSN Daily. Anthony Resnick directing us behind the scenes. He's Chris Murray. I'm Brian Samudio. A uh, lot to get to today. We have shifted Murray's mailbag from Wednesday to Thursday, so we've got that for you today. Uh, your questions with Chris's answers. Todd DeRemer from Rail City Casino and the Rail City Ale House will join us to talk a little NFL and give us his picks of the week. Uh, bet or no bet. Uh, to this week, uh, the transfer waiver, which went through yesterday with the NCAA. Do we think it's a good idea? And how does it affect Nevada men's and women's basketball, if at all? Well, secret, it does. It affects the women's team uh, in a pretty decent way. And uh, Shannon Kelly will join us from Las Vegas. Of course, tonight's Raider game against the Chargers with major playoff uh, implications when it comes to the Raiders. Uh, they're basically, they're, they're in a must-win thing right now. But Chris, now we've seen this entire signing day class for Nevada football, 19 players in all uh, pretty much dominated by defensive linemen and offensive linemen. Um, looking down the list, uh, what do you like? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about nine defensive uh, or offensive linemen. You have five on the defensive side, you have four on the offensive side. So you're basically talking about half of your class being dedicated to the trenches. And I think you've seen a massive improvement on Nevada's defensive line for sure. Uh, and as well with the offensive line this last season. And it's because of that investment. And these are high school kids. These are kids that you're going to have five years at Nevada. Uh, you're not going for quick fixes at the JC level. All but one of these players is a high school kid. Uh, and the one J uh, Juco player they took is a sophomore. So he's going to have three years at Nevada. Uh, you know, there's a, a couple of really big uh, players on this team in this class. You look at Lysander Moella, six foot five, 350 pounds. Uh, that's insanely big. Uh, Jay Norvell said that he uh, was at the Raiders when Cortez Kennedy was with the Raiders, and he's been looking for a guy with a similar body. And Cortez was about six foot seven, 360 pounds. So, uh, you know, maybe he fits the mold, but definitely a huge investment into those lines. I mean, you've seen Nevada's defensive line become really, really good the last couple of years, but it's oddly been almost all walk-ons. It's Sam Hammond, it's Zach Mahana, uh, you know, it's Daniel Greesneck, uh, it's Amir Johnson. All four of those guys who are in the top six rotation on the defensive line uh, have been walk-ons. Uh, so, you know, this is a huge investment with defensive linemen at the scholarship level, and it should pay dividends down the road. Um, but yeah, Jay Norvell, you know, talked a lot about the class yesterday and just how different it was. None of these kids took official visits because you weren't allowed to this year because of COVID-19. So you're talking about 19 kids. Probably only one of them, Drew Scolari from Bishop Minogue, has actually even been to Nevada's campus. So it was definitely a different experience trying to make sure that you're getting the right players, not only on the field, but with their character. When you couldn't go visit them at their school, talk to their teachers, talk to their counselors, talk to even the janitors, Jay Norvell said he would do to try and get a better read on players. But also they couldn't get completely comfortable, uh, you know, coming into your community. They obviously did a bunch of Zoom calls and, you know, virtual tours and things of that nature. But it was definitely a different experience putting together this class. Here's head coach Jay Norvell at his press conference on signing day talking about his 2021 class. Always really excited uh, to get this day completed, uh, to get the signing class signed. Um, very, very different year, obviously, uh, for recruiting. Um, you know, when I reflect back to the beginning of this year, um, we didn't go out and spring recruit. We couldn't see these kids in person. And so, you know, there's pieces of the evaluation process that, that really you have to find other ways to do it. And I really give our staff credit for really being creative and getting all the information we needed about these kids. Uh, you know, we talked to high school coaches, we talked to trainers, we talked to counselors, we talked to people in the building, uh, everybody we can to get as much information on these kids because we 
we're very high on character. We're very high on um, the qualities that each and one of these individuals brings to the program. And so really, really important that we, uh, uh, we get that information on each one of these young men. Um, obviously, academics are very important. Um, the passion that they have for the game of football is important. And we really, we really felt like we needed to add to the team that we've built here. Um, you know, the roster that, that we have, we've been trying to get bigger. We've been trying to get more athletic on defense. And we always try to add playmakers to, uh, to this roster. Yeah, it's interesting how you break down the numbers and I mean, half the class in the trenches, I mean, it's one up front. Uh, I don't know if that's maybe an old school way of thinking. There's only one wide receiver in this class. And, um, of course, Drew Scalari, the, the lone quarterback. And, you know, you like to see a team take a quarterback pretty much pretty, pretty much every single year. Um, Chris, this recruiting class comes from all over the place. I mean, under Coach Alt, you saw Nevada recruit Southern California. You saw them recruit a little bit of Vegas, Washington. They were in the Pacific Northwest a little bit. This class, I mean, you've got California, Texas, Arizona, Nevada, uh, Washington. They're all over the place. Yeah, I think six uh, states altogether, all in the Western United States. They can go grand, uh, grab some random person from Alabama or Virginia like they've done in years past. But it's definitely a spreading of the footprint. Uh, you know, you look at the history of Jay Norvell, about 75% of the recruits have come from California. Not so in this year's class. I think Vital has done a really good job in the Pacific Northwest. He's gone up to Washington. He's gone up to Oregon. He's been able to get some players. Uh, Nevada hired a couple of coaches with roots in Texas. Bill Best, the offensive line coach. Matt Mummy has obviously a lot of roots in Texas. And then the new defensive coordinator, Brian Ward has a lot of roots in, in not only Texas, but Arizona where he grew up. So you're seeing a little bit more Southwest with some of these recruits as well. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's just different doing it over zoom. So you don't necessarily, you're not going to their game. So you don't have to stay maybe quite as close regionally just to California. Um, so you're able to maybe, you know, reach out and get kids in different areas because they can't go visit schools either. So, um, you know, Jay Norvell said he's, he's really comfortable with the class, despite some of the challenges that they had to overcome. And it's not done. They still have four scholarships left in this 2021 class. And Jay specifically said he wanted to wait uh, in part just because a lot of these kids haven't played a senior season. And, you know, just think of how many kids they just have that coming out party their senior year. And, you know, they would fall through the cracks if you don't have available scholarships because you haven't been able to see them play. A lot of these kids are going to play in the spring. So Jay has held those four. They're either going to go for high school kids or maybe a transfer or two. Obviously, there's a ton of transfers these days. And specifically looking at defense, he wants a rush defensive end. He wants a really good cornerback, which I think their third cornerback was a pretty big weakness this last year, um, and an athletic linebacker. So uh, still a little bit more to come, but certainly the, you know, the foundation of this thing has been built. And, uh, you know, I think Jay was really targeting defense this class. I think he thinks his offense is in a really good spot, but they're still not championship level quite on defense. There's talent up and down this list of, of young student athletes. Is there a name here that jumps off the paper at you and you kind of go, ooh, granted, I mean, in the years of now the transfer portal, things change on, at the drop of the hat. People, players decommit, they have signed, so they do have to come to Nevada, but the, the things have changed dramatically. You don't see everybody in a class come through and stay. You don't have 18 of your 22 graduate from a university, but is there a name on this list that jumps out at you? Yeah, the tight end, Carlton Bragg the third. so he already has a really cool name, but beyond that, I mean, six foot six, 215 pounds. Uh, so as Jay said, you're basically looking at Cole Turner 2.0. Uh, 
so he's got the exact same body type. He's going to have a year or two to kind of grow into the position. Cole Turner is only entering his senior season next year. So Carlton will probably get some reps, um, you know, probably be a backup. And then maybe in the 2022 season is ready to take over for Cole Turner. Obviously what Nevada's done with Turner has been phenomenal. And then, you know, Bragg has the exact same body type, a very good basketball player, uh, you know, good work ethic from everything that Jay's been able to dig up. And he is one of the highest rated players in the class as well. He had some pretty significant interest in scholarship offers. So, um, you know, I, I don't think Nevada's passing game is going to take much of a step back. Uh, you, uh, you know, not only have him, but you have Drew Scalari coming in, which will be a really cool storyline. Chris Alt's grandson. And then, as you mentioned, only one wide receiver, but Nevada has a good reputation with the wide receivers uh, from Southern California. And this year's guy is uh, Desir Paget. He's from San Diego, more of a slot receiver, about six feet, 160 pounds. So, um, you know, I think they've gotten some good reinforcements in the passing game as well. I'm going to go with Jeremiah Bodwin. Uh, they list him as an outside linebacker on some of these recruiting sites. He's 6'4", 210. Uh, Nevada's listing him as a defensive end, kind of growing into that frame. Athletic, smart. I mean, he had scholarship offers from the Air Force Academy, from Army. But when it comes to big-time schools, he had Power 5 offers. Michigan State offered it. Kansas, Georgia Tech, who were all over a number of Mount West schools, and he decides to go to Nevada out of Dallas, Texas, Parish Episcopal School there in Dallas. And looking at his social media, he's pretty stoked to be part of the pack. You see him throwing up the wolf and wearing his Nevada gear and, and his signing day. But uh, I, I'm just I'm excited that these players, male, female, doesn't matter the sport, are getting their signing days. They're able to do them over Zoom. Uh, we will have Drew Scalari on tomorrow's show, and he, he's holding a, a virtual signing day today. He has already signed his letter of intent, but, uh, you know, in the times of COVID, parents want to give their kids that experience, and, and that's something that they can actually have some control over. Now, looking at the bowl game coming up, of course, Chris delves into lists, and Chris is a list guy, and he loves doing lists. You broke down the 11 most memorable bowl games in Nevada history. Uh, numbers one and two and three are all losses, unfortunately, <laughs> but but they're dramatic ones. I mean, uh, let's go through your top three. Uh, start with the New Mexico Bowl, which is an absolute heartbreaker. Yeah, I mean, I, I did go most memorable was the title just because I don't want people to get upset. Like, why are you all picking these losses? But can you really deny that that 2012 New Mexico Bowl was not just exceptional in terms of its uh, memorabilia. Uh, you know, that was Chris Hall's last game at the, uh, Nevada as the Wolfpack's head coach. Wolfpack gets up 21-0. They're up 13 points with less than two minutes to go. Then they give up two touchdowns in 42 seconds. They botch an onside kick. They give up a huge pass interference. They give up two deep touchdown throws. Uh, you know, they went from celebrating on the sidelines. I was on the sidelines after they went up 13. I went down there just to get some kind of, you know, color and reaction. And literally less than a minute later in game time, they were losing by a point. And it was just, you know, players were literally crying on the sidelines. Uh, it was an insane end to that game uh, as Nevada really dominated Arizona for the majority of the contest. So, I think that's number one. Uh, number two, also a loss, 35 to 34 to Bowling Green in the 1992 Las Vegas Bowl. Chris Vargas comes off the bench. Nevada's down 28 to three. He rallies them to a 34-28 lead. Uh, Nevada has to punt with a minute 45 left. And unfortunately, punter Steve Lester fumbled the snap. Uh, Bowling Green got the ball to 15-yard line. They scored on a fourth and goal from the four-yard line with 22 seconds left to win by one. Um, so Chris Vargas was actually still named the MVP of that game, even though the Wolfpack lost. And then uh, number three as well, 1995 Las Vegas Bowl, Toledo 40, Nevada 37, and went into overtime. That was actually the first ever overtime game in college history. 
Chris Alt actually was pushing that rule and uh, they put it in place for the bowl season. Uh, unfortunately, the Wolfpack ended up losing that one. They actually lost to uh, Toledo twice that season. Uh, Toledo was coached by Gary Pinkle, who was, uh, you know, became Missouri's head coach, a very well-known coach. And, uh, you know, kind of a fun note on that one, Deshaun Miles, the Wolfpack linebacker, played, had 10 tackles just 21 days after getting an emergency appendectomy. But Nevada has a great history. Six of their games, uh, 17 bowl games they've played, six of them, decided by a point or went into overtime. Uh, 12 of those games decided by a touchdown or less. So the Wolfpack has definitely served up some memorable bowl games, some wins, some losses. Unfortunately, I guess my top three were losses. I didn't really look at that, but yeah, that's true. I was in attendance of two of those three games of the 2012 New Mexico Bowl as a journalist. I will not call this player out. Just let the onside kick go out of bounds. (laughs) That's all you had to do. Uh, Chris Alt's face after uh, in the the Arizona uh, weight room is where the press conference was held. I'm sure you remember that. I've never seen Coach Alt so despondent after after a game. Never have. Uh, the 95 Vegas Bowl, I was actually there as a student at the University of Nevada. Well, Sean Tate was a running back for Toledo, and he was electric. He was amazing. He ran all over Nevada, and, uh, you know, I, it was a, an unbelievable football game. But, uh, yeah, yeah, the, it's a good list. If you want to check it out, go to uh, NevadaSportsNet.com if you want to check out that and the complete list of uh, the newest recruits of the Nevada football program. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we're going to head down to Southern Nevada, check in with Shannon Kelly at Allegiant Stadium. She's getting ready to cover the Raiders and Chargers game. That's coming up tonight on Fox 11. Nevada Sportsnet is proud to be uh, Northern Nevada's home for the Las Vegas Raiders and our own Shannon Kelly joining us from outside Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Shannon, Vegas is your hometown, but You've been there for like the last week and a half. You covered San Jose State, Nevada, the last Raider game on Sunday, and now on Thursday night football. Tonight we're going to have um, the Raiders hosting the Los, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, so that's going to be on Fox 11. So busy week for you down in your hometown. Yeah, it's been a busy week down here, wrapping it up with the nightcap here, Thursday night football in Las Vegas, Raiders and Chargers for their second matchup of the season Las Vegas barely came out on top against Los Angeles last time that was just a couple weeks ago the Chargers had that one and they've been playing pretty good ball as well the Chargers just uh, came out on top with that win against the Falcons on Sunday the Raiders that tough loss to the Colts and you know a lot of changes this week it's been a short week of practice just two days of practice for these teams as they head into this game and some changes defensively um, after defensive coordinator Paul Gunther was let go Rod Marinelli stepping in now as the interim coordinator but Derek Carr said you know earlier this week that he him and his guys these captains they have to spread a message in a positive way and here was part of that from earlier this week. I think uh, the main thing is the sense of urgency our team has right now that we understand that we could have made it easier on ourselves uh, in the last couple of weeks uh, going on this stretch run, but we haven't. And the fact is that uh, we're, we still have a chance. Uh, and if that doesn't get you excited, if that doesn't get you going, then I don't know what will. You know, to, to work so hard and uh, get to this point in the season, uh, mid, late December, and you're still playing for something, we haven't done that a lot around here. Uh, uh, since I've been here or before and so uh, we still have something to play for and our guys understand you know obviously with you know coach Gunther no longer with us and things like that there's a lot of crazy stuff going on uh, with everything and we can look at a whole bunch of excuses or we can look at it as we have a heck of an opportunity uh, to do something still um, that no one thought we could do and so I think that that's what keeps us motivated that's what keeps us locked in and 
the last three times, three times we play the Chargers, it comes down to the wire. And so uh, we may have won those games, but that doesn't mean that it couldn't have gone one way or the other with one play. So uh, we're locked in. We're ready to go. As you mentioned, the second matchup for these teams, the first one literally came down to the last play. It was initially ruled the Chargers touchdown on a fade and then went to a drop ball and the Raiders won. Uh, what can the Raiders take away from that game as they you know, set to go against the Chargers for a second time this season? Yeah, I mean, really, they could take away both offensively and defensively. The Chargers have the number eighth ranked offense in the league. So, I mean, Justin Herbert is throwing the ball around pretty well. They just haven't had some things fall on their side of the coin. And head coach Anthony Lynn, he said, you know, he's been impressed with what Herbert's been able to do for them this season. He's been thrown in some tough situations, but he knows that they are going to be able to throw the ball. You know, the Raiders know that what he can do, and that shouldn't be a surprise to the defense. And then defensively as well the Chargers also up there um, they're in the top 10 in the league defensively as well so with what they can do that shouldn't be as a surprise for them and the Chargers know that with some quick changes this week for the Raiders not too much can really be done there's not much that you can really change up in such a short amount of time so yeah it's going to be a good one I think out here tonight as uh, there's just a couple regular season games left. Shannon before we let you go do you already have your own personalized parking spot there at Legion Stadium or what? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. No, no, I do not. I'm not, not at that level yet, Brian. No, we're yeah, not there knows, yet. She knows her way around that stadium pretty well, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even know where to find a restroom and she already knows everything <laughs> about that stadium. Uh, it'll be the Raiders and the Chargers tonight on Fox 11. A pregame show starts at 430 on our sister station kickoff set for about 520 Raiders about a three point favorite. Uh oh, look out, the cops are behind you. Um, <laughs> the three point uh, uh, favorite at Sports Post. We'll let Shannon get out of there before she gets into trouble. Shannon Kelly reporting from <laughs> Las Vegas. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. We'll have much more coming up here on NSN Daily right after this. <laughs> Nevada Sportsnet is the official Reno television home of the Las Vegas Raiders. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Alex Margulies and Chris Murray joined by head coach Steve Alford and coach uh, getting set for a couple games against Air Force uh, Friday and then Sunday. We'll have that televised on Nevada Sports Now, which is exciting. Fans get to watch the games. Uh, but, you know, you got to go five and two in non-conference. Now you get into to conference play. I know you're talking about just how happy you were getting to play seven games because there's a lot of teams in this conference that haven't been able to play like that. Absolutely. And, and some teams that uh, maybe played a game or two and they've been a, a not even against division one teams uh, in that caliber. So to get the seven games that we got in and not just uh, seven games, Alex, but we were able to play in an MTE event. Um, we were able to play home games and we were able to play road games. You know, so I think that those are things that are typical in a non-league conference schedule but we just didn't get the number of games normally you're playing anywhere from 11 to 13 non-league games and you know you really cut that in half but at least we got half of them then there are some teams like you've said that they're getting ready to start league play here at the end of december first of january and you've got one to three games under your belt and not just from getting more experience but i just think for you know with the season ending the way it did no postseason for anybody and now all of a sudden these guys come back this year and that would have been awful to, you know, go through a non-league and, and you don't, because they've been here since June. You've done your quarantines, you've done all this stuff you've done. And I can't imagine now you get on campus at June and you start working towards things and you get to January and you played one or two games. Um, that wouldn't be a lot of fun uh, as a student athlete. So our guys have at least had taste of travel, had taste of home games, 
they've had a chance to win. They've had a chance to lose and uh, learn from both. And so now I think they're excited about league play, which is going to be different too. You know, playing the same team twice in a 40, 48 to 72 hour window, that's different. Uh, but hopefully, you know, it's an exciting time for our players. And they look at it that way and uh, it'll be fun to, I think, play on Friday and then see what kind of adjustments both teams make going into a Sunday game. It's kind of like an NBA schedule now. And um, that could be a lot of fun for both staffs and hopefully the players as well. You said before the season started, just with the inexperience and youth on this roster, you're going to have some growing pains, uh, but five and two, three wins away from home. What's the thing you've been most pleased with, with what your young group's been able to accomplish so far? Yeah, just uh, they've gotten a little bit tougher. We got a long way to go in that, right? I'm, you know, I'm probably very picky about that, but, um, and just the, the ability to, the thing I've been most pleased with, they, I think they've really worked hard. Um, because they haven't, you know, you're adding a transfer in Grant, who's basically your point guard. Um, so he hasn't been here. They just met him in June. Uh, Warren and, and Dez were key parts the last year's scout team, obviously, but now they're, they're playing the roles of the guards that we lost. You know, we need them to score. We need them to do more things than maybe transfers are even capable of doing early on. So all those pieces and just trying to fit them together, the guys have had pretty good unity. I've said this before, Chris and Alex, you know, not, not being able to have player retreats, not being able to have them out to the house, not being there's so many things that we do within our program, community service work. Um, you know, we're doing something uh, tonight. Um, finally, we get to do something around um, film session tonight because it's something that we do before games, but just stuffing stockings for the children's hospital and things like that. We, we just, but we haven't been able to go to those hospitals. We haven't been able to see those individuals or, uh, Boys and Girls Club, whatever it may be, those are things that usually unite you as a team. And we haven't had those type of things. So I've been pretty impressed with how together they've been. Um, when they have messed up, when they haven't played well, they've taken ownership in it. And I think that's the first thing as a student athlete that you got to take ownership when you haven't played well. Um, and we seem to have bounced back um, after not playing well and or having slippage. We had, although we had great slippage at Grand Canyon, who I think is a pretty good experienced team. They're, they're kind of a hidden gem out West right now. I think I, they almost beat, should have beat Arizona state got beat on the last possession of the game. Uh, but they're big, they're strong, they're physical, and they play about five seniors. Uh, so we were very impressed with them, but we thought we had slippage defensively and two nights later against San Diego, our defense really spiked and it did some really good things. So I've been most impressed with that because truth be told, this team probably doesn't, they don't understand or have the experience of, oh, yeah, I played bad. This is what I got to do to get better. It, usually it takes a lot longer than that. And hopefully we can be as consistent as we were in non-league and doing those things now as we start league play. Steve, one of the things on that road trip that was so impressive was the play of Desmond Cambridge Jr. And, and he really hadn't found his rhythm until he got to Grand Canyon he had six threes there. He hit seven threes on the road uh, in your win at San Diego. What did it mean to finally get him going, get him confident again? Well, it's huge because obviously he's a, he's a prolific scorer. He scored over a thousand points at Brown and the Ivy league. And so, and he, he lit our team up last year being a scout guy. And so we knew we were getting a very good score. You know, we thought he was going to be teaming up with Jalen. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. And uh, I want to congratulate Jalen, uh, obviously, and wish him the very best at Toronto. I think he's going to have a great career. Um, and so 
that that put a hole in our scoring. And I think Des is one of those guys that's got to fill in that role. And so I think early on, he's dealing with that pressure. He got in foul trouble a lot in the first three or four games. And so that disrupted his flow and rhythm. Um, scores need to be out there and they need to get a good flow of the game. And I think in, in that last road trip, he got into the flow. He didn't get in foul trouble. He's learning good shot from bad shot, uh, which is always critical. If you look at the numbers, uh, I don't care how good a shooter you are. If you take good shots, you're going to make more than what you're going to shoot if you shoot contested shots. And I think he's doing a much better job at working to get better shots. Um, and when he does that, he, he's as good a shooter um, in this league. And so he's just got to continue to do that. And I think his teammates are getting familiar with how he is and who he is. And they're doing a good job of finding him. They're screening well for him. The ball's moving. Offensively, I think in the last three or four games, we've started to get a little bit better rhythm. Now, now we're going to see a 3 twos matchup, which is a little different. So I got to see if um, our guys can handle that um, and continue to move forward offensively. You're used to playing games in front of 10,000 plus, whether it was in high school at Indiana and the NBA, you're coaching at, you know, New Mexico, UCLA, and here at the Lawler Event Center. What What is the difference been playing in front of cardboard cutouts and how have your players had to adjust and, uh, you know, try and bring their best with such a different environment? Yeah, you just, you hear everything. <laughs> so, which is odd, Chris, because I, I think as a player, it's probably helped me in coaching. As a player, I learned to block out all that noise. The, the noise from the stands, I blocked it out. I, I never wanted to be a player that, you know, played better at home than I did on the road because the road was yelling at me and the home was, you know, clapping for me or cheering for me. I, I wanted to be, I wanted to play the game as hard and as well as I could, no matter where I was playing the game. Um, and I think I'd learned that trait probably at Newcastle playing for my father because we had the largest high school gym in the world. And you're playing, I played in front of, you know, seven sellouts my senior year. That's 70,000 people uh, in just seven games. So it, it, I think that really helped me as a player. And then I think it's kind of transpired as a coach is that I don't pay attention to what people are yelling at. I probably hear more towards my team than I would me. Um, so I, that part hasn't affected me. But I think as a player, current player, and then as a staff, you hear everything. So like as a coach, you stand up to yell something and it just – echoes through the building so as a player you're just like you're taken back and it's not really the coaches yelling personally at you it's just that's how we normally in front of a large crowd we have to be very boisterous in just getting our message out and I think that's been different from a coaching standpoint that we're like hey look I'm not upset <laughs> it's like you, this is just what we're trying to do defensively or offensively but it sounds like you know, we're screaming and yelling a lot. And, um, but we've really tried to flip that as a player and say, look, there's not going to be any noise. It's going to be an empty building. And I think that's the difference too. And being maybe small colleges versus big buildings like Lawler and the mountain West, we have a lot of big buildings in the mountain West, some really cool places to play and they're all empty, you know, so that's going to be, that's going to be a very strange thing. And, but at least our guys have had some experience doing that. But uh, I think the teams that talk the most, they're going to generate. We've had, if you look at our film, we've had a very live bench. We've had a lot of enthusiasm on our bench, and we're trying to kind of keep that going because really we're creating our own enthusiasm. Where we're at home or road, there's not fans that are creating that enthusiasm, and that's been a lot different. Steve, if there's anyone that can empathize with you on being too loud, uh, sometimes I, I feel your pain. I get yelled at <laughs> a lot too, you know, for being too loud in, in certain situations. 
Uh, before we let you go, we've got Air Force coming in. You talked a little bit about their zone, which is going to be different. You know, what have you seen from the Falcons and, and what do you expect, you know, their biggest challenge to be? Well, I have a lot of respect for Joe. Joe wasn't at Air Force when I was at New Mexico. So this is kind of our first time competing against each other in the Mountain West, even though both of us have been in the Mountain West uh, before. So he's come back to the league he's enjoyed. I've come back to the league that I enjoyed. Um, and I think you're going to see very similar Air Force type deals. You're going to run the Princeton offense um, and they do a very good job of whatever you take away. They make the adjustments to go to something else. And for a young team, for a team that I think will will listen and do everything that they're trying to do from our scout report um, and what we're trying to take away from them, I'm anxious. Can they handle the adjustments that Air Force makes? Like we take away A, they're going to go to B. Are we able to guard B as well as we guarded A? And that's always when you don't have an experienced team and age and, and, you, and you've got youth, that's always something you're concerned about defensively and then offensively just not standing. Uh, they do a very good job in their matchup and they work very hard. Uh, this is a slow tempo team that we're getting ready to play. So we're going to talk about having patience. Uh, we've got to be patient defensively to complete the stop. And we got to show a lot of patience on the offensive end to make sure we get the shot we want to get. We can't just take the first quick shot that ends up being a bad shot. So I'm anxious to see that because um, it is very different playing Air Force. Before we started taping, you were marveling at Alex's trips behind his head, the pictures there. I know you guys were able to golf uh, a little bit this summer. I, I'm curious, what is it going to take to get you on a, a ski mountain with Alex this winter? Is that a possibility? Yeah, a lot. I'll, I'll take the tram up, but I'll also take the tram back down. Uh, because I'm I'm not going down uh, trusting anything other than the tram. Uh, but uh, I, it's just like playing, Chris. I don't play anymore either. I've got to try to protect myself the, the, as much as I can for the golf season. I don't want to be out. The, the, injuring my shoulder playing softball was enough of a message, so I can't imagine being on top of Mount Rose. <laughs> Steve, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, good luck against Air Force. Good catching up with you. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, once again, you can tune into those games right here on Nevada Sportsnet, 7 o'clock Friday, 3 o'clock on Sunday against the Falcons. We'll have more of NSN Daily coming up after a break. It is Thursday. That means uh, we go through our Rail City NFL picks with Todd DeRemer, general manager over there, uh, also uh, in charge of the Rail City Ale House. Todd, we'll get to some specials there at the Ale House uh, coming up in a second. But uh, Todd, how are you? How was the weekend? Doing good. Weekend was good. If you remember, we had the specials for the $5 pizza and we sold 109 this past weekend, which was 103 the previous weekend. So we beat the record. So we're feeling good about that. See, that makes Chris smile because Chris is a numbers guy. Chris is the one who keeps an eye on our website and our clicks. So if, if you're if you're if you're trending up, that that's a good thing. Let's get right into your picks, Todd. Uh, let's start off with tonight's game. Uh, depending on what time you're watching this show, this game could be uh, going on or it may be almost ended or ended. The Los Angeles Chargers at the Raiders. Raiders minus three. Todd, what do you think? Um, I like the Raiders at home. I like the minus three. I think they'll cover. Um, I also saw a prop out there for Austin Eckler to go over 59 yards, and they've been averaging 3.8 yards uh, rushing play. So I think they, I think he's a good bet to go over the 59 yards tonight too. Chris, are you on board with that, even without Henry Ruggs? Uh, I'm going to go Chargers. It's probably a dumb pick. The Chargers have not got, you know, won against the spread in six of their last seven games. Uh, so it's not uh, ideal, maybe, if you look at the trend. But 
Uh, I thought the Chargers outplayed the Raiders the last time they played earlier this season. There was a final play. It was basically a fade, and it was initially called a touchdown, which would have won the game for the Chargers. Uh, it was officially overruled. Um, so I think these are even teams. Obviously, playing this game in Las Vegas benefits the Raiders, but I just got a little bit more faith in Justin Herbert right now than Derek Carr with how the Raiders have been playing. So I'll go Chargers. It's a bold move, Todd. We'll see if it works out for him. <laughs> right? uh, when it comes to that. How about the Kansas City Chiefs at minus three uh, at the New Orleans Saints? So I like the Saints to bounce back this weekend against the Chiefs. The Chiefs have clinched. Um, hopefully they coast a little bit and uh, the Saints can come in there. I actually like the plus 150 for the Saints to actually win at home on this one. Chris, your thoughts? I'd like to know who's playing quarterback for the Saints. So I probably That's my question <laughs> up until kickoff. Sounds like Drew Brees might be able to come back from like the 12 broken ribs that he had. I will go against the trend again. The Chiefs, as good as they've been, they've lost the last five games against the spread. Um, but I'm going to guess they sit Drew Brees for one more game just to get him completely healthy. Uh, so I will take the Chiefs in this one. Uh, hopefully they break the trend and I'm, I'm right. But uh, yeah, the trend tells you to go Saints. Uh, this one would be the no touchy game. I'm not even going to touch <laughs> this game because I don't know who's going to play quarterback. Drew Brees suffered like 142 broken ribs and, <laughs> and he's supposed to come back at his age and, and be effective. I don't know, you know, and you know, Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill's a weird dog for me because I got to see him play in person when he played at BYU and he destroyed Nevada. And then you see him in the NFL and you, there are moments where you go, wow, this guy could start for a number of teams. And then you go, this guy couldn't start for anybody sometimes. <laughs> and I'm criticizing yeah. an elite athlete, but I, I, this is the no touchy game for me. Sorry, I'm not going to do that one. Uh, how about finish up with the Seattle Seahawks minus six at Washington Todd. I like Washington getting the points. Not sure that they can win out on this one, but I do like them getting the points at home. Um, I like the under 44 also. Their defense been, has been holding strong. Uh, I'm also a Jack Del Rio guy, Minnesota Viking at one point. So I like that defense play. And then um, it looks like everybody's buying into the Ron Rivera philosophy. So I think that they, they will at least keep it close for the uh, six points. Chris? Yeah, I agree. I mean, they haven't played great teams of late, but their last four games, their defense has been outstanding. They haven't given up more than 17 points. They've won their last four games. They're getting a little bit better quarterback play. Uh, they have won four straight against the spread as well. So I will take the, the five and a half points. I will, uh, you know, go with the football team in this one. And, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been a great season for Seattle of late. So uh, I'm going to go with uh, Todd on this one. I'll take Washington. Yeah, Seattle's been in the ditch a little bit lately. Uh, it's almost like they hit... They were, uh, they were doing really well driving through Sacramento in the Bay Area, and then they hit a, hit a storm on I-80 in Truckee and, and you know, slid off into the, into the trees. I don't know what's, what's, what's going on with them. Todd, before we get to some other stuff that's happening with Rail City this week, is that Thurman Thomas? Who, is that Thermal Thurman? Is that his helmet? That is a Thurman Thomas helmet for the uh, Buffalo win last week. Nice. Awesome. Chris, you have a Thurman Rock, you said? Yeah, I got it at the uh, candy dance in Genoa. Um, yeah, it's basically like a little craft. It's a uh, Thurman Thomas painted as a rock, and there's like a little pencil that goes next to it. Uh, I should have brought it out for the segment, maybe next uh, week's segment, but he was my favorite, probably favorite athlete growing up. Uh, you know, it was either him or Eric Carros, who was the first baseman for the Dodgers, but uh, huge Bills fan, grew up or born in L.A. and obviously didn't have a, a football team there at the time. So I picked the team that was always in the Super Bowl to support, and that was Buffalo, and Thurman was great. Uh, unfortunately couldn't win a Super Bowl, but maybe this is the year. And that's a, that's a, maybe, I don't know that I want to put Todd's, uh, own little pieces up for, uh, you know, the bet, but maybe next year 
we actually keep our head to head record and whoever wins gets, you can have my Thurman rock if I lose and I'll get your signed Thurman Thomas helmet. That sounds good. That sounds like a bet. (laughs) No, I, 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 man, you need to talk to your, your attorney, man. You need to (laughs) speak with a, speak with a lawyer, man. I mean, I would, I would, I don't know if I'd go that far. Todd, growing up a Vikings fan, was there a guy that was like Thurman Thomas to Chris uh, for you with the Vikes? Yeah, Chuck Foreman. I have a Chuck Foreman signed uh, football. 44. He's the guy. Were you you a Twins fan growing up too then? Yeah, not a huge baseball fan for the most part. Playing hockey my whole life, baseball just really wasn't the thing. Football, but not so much baseball. Gotcha. What's going on with uh, Rail City and uh, the Rail City Ale House this weekend? So, So this weekend, casino customers... Another gift, tool set. Who can't use another tool set? 29 pieces. Um, so that's Saturday. Come in, sign up for the card, 750 points. You get one of those. Um, again, last weekend, we sold 109 pizzas. So this weekend, we're going to do it one more time. This will be the last weekend, and then we're rolling out some new food specials. So come on down and get the $5 large pizza this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then just this morning when I was walking the floor, I saw we're putting in three new slot machines right by the Yale House. Um, cash falls and then it's also dragon's wealth great games we've been waiting for them to arrive so come on down and play those this weekend and then uh, traditional rail city way fashion um, alehouse has been challenged this week from a staffing standpoint we sold 109 pizzas last week so they were busy um, we have a server down there named carol she really lives the pride passion and fun and she really was uh, out there fast service friendly service making sure even though we were a little short on the team member side she was getting it done and we really appreciate carol and the alehouse Shout out to Carol. Nice. Uh, last week, I know you were giving out those uh, video game consoles. How popular were those? They were so popular, we ran out of 500 by 330. Oh, my goodness. Chris, <laughs> and it was supposed to go till eight. Yeah. Did you get in line, Chris? I didn't. Get uh, I love those things. I, I have a Sega version where they're all kind of just built in. Uh, that's an amazing invention, uh, just to be able to buy the unit and have all the games built in. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really, really cool. I, I'm not surprised that all those things went. Todd with Rail City Casino and the Rail City Ale House. Appreciate your time and your insight, man. Always great to talk to you. Great. Have a good weekend. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, bet or no bet. Should all Division I players allowed be allowed to just transfer and play immediately? It has been decided by the NCAA. That's coming up. It is Thursday. That means uh, bet or no bet brought to you by Joby Gilbert Law. And that uh, This time around, uh, you know what? I was torn on this when I first heard it was coming out, but then 2020 and COVID, uh, the transfer waiver, NCAA Division I Council has voted to grant a blanket waiver allowing all Division I transfers to play immediately this year. Chris, I'm on board with this. I'm going to say bad. I think it's the right decision. Yeah, I mean, it's just been so inconsistent. Some players have gotten it and some players haven't gotten it. This is kind of being treated as a non-eligibility season anyways because everybody's getting another year of eligibility. So why not allow these transfers to be able to step in and play this year. This does affect the Nevada women's basketball team. They had two D1 transfers who were sitting out this year. Uh, UCSB center, uh, Megan Ormiston, she was six foot three, so it gives Nevada some good size down there. And then Chicago State's uh, Bethany Karstens, who's a kind of a three-point specialist. She made about uh, 53 pointers the last season, averaged about 12 points per game as a freshman. So both of those players who were already on campus here this fall practicing with the team will now be immediately eligible to play with Nevada for the rest of the season. Part of the reason is because with COVID-19, you're seeing, you know, some teams playing with six, seven players like Sac State had to do against the Nevada women over the weekend. So beefs up rosters a little bit so you can kind of navigate through some of those waters if you do have a couple of positive tests. 
Unfortunately, it doesn't impact the men's side. Uh, Grant Sherfield was a transfer in this year, but he was given that waiver to play this season without sitting out. Nevada has another transfer. They just signed Addison Patterson from Oregon, but one of the stipulations is that you have to be enrolled in your specific new school in the fall. And Addison is still at Oregon finishing his semester there. So he'll join Nevada in the spring, but won't be able to play. So I'm cool with it. I, I just think it gives a little bit more opportunity to the players. And I think by, we, by the time we get the next year, uh, they're supposed to rule in January on a one-time transfer rule just straight up. From this point forward, you can transfer once without having to sit out a year. So it's already coming next year. Why not integrate it this year for the transfers who were sitting out this fall? I mean, how cool is that for Amanda Levins? Not only did you pick up a three-point shooter and a post player who's 6'3", you get to deliver that news to these players in COVID time when any good news is spectacular news. That's, that's really good for the women's program. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's going to help with their depth. Uh, they've already had to pause twice this season, so they've had to deal with COVID. Uh, you know, they're currently without their best post player, Leita Otuafa. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to help. Uh, you know, Coach Levins did say on the show, you know, it's hard to integrate two players once you've started a season and, you know, gotten into your rotation. But, uh, you know, I'm sure she's going to be fine with adding these two. And, uh, you know, it'll be nice to just, uh, you know, like you said, give them some positive news. It's really hard redshirting and being able to practice and doing everything until you get to the game. And then you just have to sit there and watch your teammates play. So, uh, you know, it's a nice little Christmas present for them a week before Christmas that they actually get the suit up this season. Yeah, I think it's a nice little boost for the team as well. If you're, you know, okay, we've got more reinforcements because if you're uh, if you're somebody on the team that goes, oh, darn, so we have a 6'3 center and a three-point shooter now joining our team, then you know she, she shouldn't be on the team. You know, but <laughs> if anybody's going to find a way to integrate them, it will be Amanda Levins. We'll be right back with some final thoughts here on NSN Daily right after this. All right, Chris, it's December 17th. Uh, I know you celebrate Christmas. I do too. Some folks celebrate different holidays this time of year. Is your Christmas shopping done? Oh, yeah, we're 100% done. I might get one more present for each of the kids as kind of a surprise, uh, even for my wife, so she doesn't know that it's coming for them. But uh, we are completely done. Uh, we have everything wrapped. So uh, now we just have to sit and wait for the holiday to arrive. But uh, yeah, Santa's already made his deliveries to the Murray household. Very nice. Uh, final 20 seconds. Anything that had to be uh, constructed, constructed on your part or are we getting I, Yes, I do have to put together a foosball table. So that one hasn't been wrapped. I'm going to put that together Christmas Eve night and then uh, put it in our little playroom and show the kids in the morning. So yes, I will be doing construction deep into Christmas Eve night. We better have, we've got to make sure the kids don't see this show. <laughs> <laughs> or Chris Murray and Anthony Rezendick. I'm Brian Sinamudio. We'll see you next time.